you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I have got an extraordinary, extraordinary guest uh, today. It's Richard Woods, uh, aka Tricky Dicky from The Apprentice. Uh, some of you might recognise him um, from what's it? Three years ago now, you were on there. Um, 2015. Indoors. Gosh, five years ago. Wow, and you haven't aged a bit, Richard. I know. It's, it's all the Botox. It's fine. Yeah. More importantly, though, so things have obviously moved on since The Apprentice. So you are a professional keynote speaker, radio presenter, investor, best-selling author, and also the founder of the Lead Gen Academy. And um, hopefully we're going to be hearing about some of your insights today in how to generate leads online, because that's obviously your forte. Um, but I was just wondering whether you could kind of give us a bit of a potted history about kind of um, how, you get in, how you got into sort of digital marketing in the first place and your initial business was called Yomp and how did that then develop into the Lead Gen Academy? Yeah, well, the initial business wasn't Yomp actually. It was a company called 2UK. Um, so when I finished university, I went out with a sketchbook of ideas and a graduate loan to India and China and went up and down the different um, you know, aisles of trade show stands finding weird and wonderful products to import back to the UK. So at the age of kind of 21, my travelling to go find myself, all these people that go to get lovely, you know, see waterfalls and brilliantness was um, up and down the streets of Delhi and uh, and into China, mainland China, um, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, etc., and finding suppliers to go make things that I'd sketched in a book. So it was a wonderful kind of... Um, um, kind of graduation of entrepreneurship into actually doing something physical and, and shipping them back to the UK. And uh, and that started. And, and so we brought stuff to the UK is why it's called to UK. Uh, and through that, we, we start to build our own um, websites and develop those. And um, that was very successful. Then people started saying, well, we really love your website. Um, could you do us one? And I was like, well, look, we could probably do one, but you know we need to sell some of this product, and these would tend to be independent retail owners that would be contacting us. So we say, well, look, why don't you buy like a thousand pounds of photo frames from us, which is one of the products we sold, um, and we'll just do your free website. And so we started to do all these free websites for people, um, and they get them coming back, and then they say, oh, my friend the plumber um, wants to uh, get a website, but he doesn't want your bloody photo frames. <laughs> so all right, okay, we'll we'll do him a website, we'll charge him some money, and uh, and that was about two thousand and. And of course, what happens in 2008, you have this global um, crisis and all of our little independent retail shops that were buying our photo frames. We did these little rubber ducks and these weird little piggy banks and stuff. And they kind of went under. Um, but our plumbers and our other types of service sector industry um, kept on coming back for more stuff on the website. So it just became a complete transition. And because we had kind of earned our craft by doing it for ourselves, we knew about how to get SEO work, we knew about email marketing, all the pay-per-click, et cetera, because we were doing it to sell all of our stuff online. So we didn't just start to implement those ideas for them. And before you know it, they're saying, look, can I buy some of your time? And I'm like, what? 
I'm like, I'm like some like punk kid like who just thinks that he can twiddle around with the digital stuff and you want to pay me to tell you how to do some marketing. I was like, yes, mate. All right. Yeah. Okay. And so then before you know it, it's like, yeah, you know, can I do some more of it? And it's like things that I implemented based on what you said actually worked. I was like, yeah, well, of course they work, you know? And then he's like, no, but that's really unusual because normally I pay someone who's consultant. They want to go do a, a blue sky thinking and, you know, talk about life and objectives and stuff. Whereas you just went, look, if you press this button and do that bit and do that bit, um, you'll actually get um, some stuff to work. And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, my kind of, I've always got, I've always got a very practical way of doing things. I, I kind of see, you know, here's, here's a, and here's B, let's not go via X, Z, and Y to get to there. And if we're on a call together, let's just actually do some of this stuff together. And, and that became kind of the refreshing take on consulting that we've taken into what's now the Lead Gen Academy. And uh, we had, we, as you said, Yomp was the agency, we're doing the stuff for them. Um, but, uh, but then we, you know, we're now taking the actual kind of advice that people can help them to do it themselves. Um, it's that kind of typical, if you teach, it, teach someone to fish, then they can go and catch unlimited amounts of um, fish. Whereas if you kind of constantly serve them the fish, they'll never know how they got the fish, right? So agency is a little bit like giving someone a fish versus actually teaching someone how to fish. Um, and so I, I teach I teach fishermen and women um, how to generate <laughs> generation funnels, and I bloody love it. It's it's interesting because we kind of hark from a similar sort of background. So, um, yeah. you know, my digital agency was around sort of 2004. Pine, pine, pineapple? Coconut. Coconut. <laughs> oh, yes. What was it? What was it? Coconut? It was a coconut group. The coconut group. I yeah. love it. I love Which, it. Yeah. You know, it was a it was a bittersweet day when I kind of let that go. But mm. when you kind of get that a taste of the, you know, the uh, the expert sort of status when people are coming mm. to you for advice as opposed to be my web bitch, which is what I used to get. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was a it was kind of quite a um transformation at that point. I, I've been lucky enough to sell a business a year for the last three years. So agency first and then my boiler servicing company um, and then WPA. So between those, um, it's been uh, what, what that was is that I thought that I was Richard Branson, right? Um, and <laughs> so I set up all these different businesses and I thought, oh, yes, because I know how to do lead generation, I'll do them for you. And I ran around trying to create these inquiries, except, you know, to create these businesses that were really good because I got lots of inquiries because that's not how to do. But then I found myself, you know, there's only five working days in the week. And so I've been doing like one day on that business, one day on that business, one, and it was just a mess. Um, and obviously I had a team to help it, but it was just a nightmare. So I sold all of those to then, and this is advice that I'd give to anyone. I know that you also um, sing from the same hymn sheet there is that if you try and go five directions, you, you want to go one in, you can go five inches in one day. So if you've got five businesses, you actually only go one inch forward because you go one inch, one inch, one inch. Whereas if you focus on one, you can go five inches forward. And because I'm trying to scale um, a proper business and uh, and actually more, more kind of secure an amazing continued generational wealth for, for my kids, um, that five inches in one direction is the only way you can do that, not five inches in lots of directions. So... That's why I learned. Luckily, I learned at the right time because they were big enough to actually sell, so I can put some cash in the bank. But um, anybody out there that thinks they're starting lots of businesses, um, 
Well, I think that's one of the biggest challenges with scaling though, isn't it? Is knowing what is the right time. Because with those businesses, you probably could have got them to the point whereby you could put an MD or a CEO or somebody in charge yeah. of the business who would then yeah. be putting those the five inches into that one specific business for you. Yeah. That sounds slightly dodgy. You well, what like WPA was that? That, um, that MD brought me out. So yeah. the person I brought in for Jake, he brought he brought me out um, for it. So so it kind of it kind of means that that MD can do that. But any, anybody who thinks that they can properly sit back and let it go, unless you're a brand like a Branson, because all he brings is actually old Branson's involved in this. Yeah, he he's when he scaled student magazine he was only working for student magazine when he scaled the virgin records he was only working in that right because he got rid of student magazine when he went on to scale these other businesses it was almost like it was his total focus until it got up as you say to that place and then he exited whereas i thought now nah, i do five at once why not why <laughs> not that's how you live and learn though isn't it did, <laughs> did you feel um was it easy or was it hard letting those businesses go Oh, mate, as soon as the money cleared, I was <laughs> very easy. <laughs> I just, you know, it's fine. Like, I, I actually, I think this is the point that never, a business is, is, is an asset. It's not another child. And everybody talks about it being a, you know, my, my baby being my business. If you ever think your business is your baby, you just, just stop it because you'll never be out. You can't sell a child. Like, you know, that's terrible. You can't go find Madonna. Um, you know, that's like, you know, you can't, <laughs> sorry, it's a bit you said there's no subject that I can't talk oh, about. Oh, it's nothing so. off limits. Absolutely. No, okay, <laughs> but, right. but you shouldn't sell children. Let's just yeah. make that clear. Okay. <laughs> but, but you, when it's your business, it's an asset, right? And so, so you, you, you know, um, you, you, you should just see it as that. It's like selling a house. You know, you may have some great memories there. You may have brought your kids up there. You may have, you know, it might be the first place that you and your wife own jointly, but you'd be unemotional about it because it's about the journey and where you're actually heading to. And as long as you know that, then you can flog assets along the way. And um, that's why, you know, I, I, I kind of put in my bio that I'm an investor. I'm not really an investor. I just sell stuff that I create from scratch. And, and actually that, that becomes the fun bit. And then what you should do is you could siphon that off and actually secure wealth. And securing wealth is a vital thing. So having... Explain, explain like, what you mean by that. So, so, so look, if, if you've got what I always call, you've got your, your running business that you're kind of working at the moment. And so you're spending your time in there. And actually every single month, you should be siphoning off businesses into an investment account. And that investment account should be securing long-term sustainable wealth, be it into um, really secure assets. You know, there might be something that's low interest, but very safe, like ISAs and all that sort of fun stuff. You should be using your ISA allowance. Pensions, you can take out tax-free, so you could be using that. Um, or if it's me, I'm siphoning into property. So we've got actual property like um, HMOs, so that's houses of multiple occupants that go out to students, which then I then get someone to manage all that stuff for you. But what it means is that that, that that amount of wealth that doesn't need my time and is very kind of passive is securing my long-term future. So I don't need to kind of go back and worry about that. So I can go and be a little bit more of a risk taker over here because this is the this is the high turnover, high profitable, but you know relatively high risk um, running business like a lead gen academy or a you know I had a boiler business, boiler service or a website business, whatever it is. So you're constant, and you should never think, oh, when I sell it, I'll chuck money in there and do it. Actually, 
every single month. It's just really good drills to be able to do that. Just stick it in savings, stick it in savings, stick it in savings. You're, you're uh, a big fan of profit first, aren't you? So you oh, know, pay the business I love it. first. I love it. It's, I think that actually anybody, when they set up a new business on the company's house, they should just be sent a copy of profit first. And if anybody hasn't seen it, they're just mental if you haven't read it yet. And the reason why is that if, it tells you to have multiple bank accounts. By the way, I'm conscious. I fell off my bike, okay? So this is not because I was eating a jam sandwich just before <laughs> I fell off um, and smashed my arm up and it's all bloody bruised up and all the rest of it. So I, I, I do wash, okay? That is not jam on my arm. Um, so <laughs> For the sake of everybody on the, who's listening on the podcast, uh, okay. Richard fell off his bike and he's now showing me his various different wounds on his, his arm. So it's quite impressive, actually. Uh, what a man. If people on the podcast, um, let me just, just audio describe it for you. As Richard pulls his shirts off of his massive bulging biceps, um, he shows the uh, bruise. <laughs> Try not to laugh. <laughs> his, 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 dad, his dad bod is exposed. <laughs> I'm like a good dad bod. Let's, you yeah, know. Everybody loves a good dad bod. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so so growing you know we're talking about sort of profit first here yes. and actually kind of looking after oneself first as opposed to like that which mm. i think people get very emotionally attached to their business and they feel oh, i must reinvest in my business yeah. and what's really interesting is um especially with you know it'd be remiss not to kind of um nod towards mm. the crisis which is going on at the moment there's some great funding available in things like the bounce back loan schemes mm -hmm. um, which people are just not taking because they're like oh, i couldn't possibly borrow money to put into my business Mm -hmm. I believe businesses, your own business especially, should be the best investment vehicle for yourself to raise, mm -hmm. like to make money mm -hmm. um, and be financially free and eventually financially independent. But why do you think it is that people are so fearful of borrowing money and taking risk for their business? It's interesting, actually, because um, because the word profit first and then borrowing money is, is actually um, really shouldn't don't shouldn't don't need to be in the same sentence okay so so um so i kind of let me go full circle and go into into the balance back loan style um with profit first you will never be out never need to get loans investment all that sort of stuff because you will take it basically has a policy of pay yourself first before you pay everything else and the the, the whole overarching principle is it's around parkinson's theory that mass expands the room that you give it so if you've got a bulging bank account and you've only got one bank account and you've got the 20k that you might have taken for that month into that one bank account then you'll go oh there's 20k in here and you'll go spend some money on a new social media person to do this and you'll buy this course and then you'll go and get an accountant to do this and boom and by the end of the month what happens is that the bit that's left goes to you and you're like oh my god i had 20k and now there's like a grand in there how am i making you know 240k a year and in the business but i'm paying myself 12k a year like what so the concept around profit first is you pay yourself first because that's the most important thing and in fact actually that 20K, you divide up into a number of bank accounts and then you only make payments from those bank accounts. So say you had a bank account for the owner's compensation, your money, you had a bank account for profit, you had a bank account for your company expenses, a bank account for tax, et cetera, et cetera. And so therefore the money that goes into the tax account, you don't touch is only for the tax man. If the money goes into your account, then that goes straight to you. So you've secured your personal income. So say you wanna you know, take 50% of income 
for you, that's great. So as soon as every payment comes in throughout the month, say you get 100 quid here or 1,000 pounds there, you just divide it in half, stick it into the owner's comp, and then at the end of the month, you'll pay yourself that 10K. And now you've got 10K because you've secured your 10K. It's like, it's impossible not to make money if you've got turnover. It's just most people just mess up how they account for their business because they're accounting on a on a, an accountancy firm or they're doing, they get the bookkeeper to do it, whereas actually they're not working on a cash. Well, that's the common mistake people make is they always say, I've got a cash flow problem, but nobody has a cash flow problem because yeah. the money comes in, it flows straight back out. So there's no cash flow problem. The biggest challenge is making more money yeah. and keeping it. Yeah, if exactly. you master both of those two things, you're going you're gonna to have like a massively profitable mm-hmm. business. One, one of the things I found is, um, so I signed up to Starling Bank at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's great because you've got something called spaces in there. So you can just siphon that money off. into It's still one bank account, but yeah. you siphon it off into the spaces and then it just shows mm-hmm. you the available balance of what's left in there. Exactly. Um, and it's also got this really cool thing, which I, I'm amazed at how quickly the money amasses. I'm obviously just too many transactions going through my account. But for every transaction you do, it round it up and multiplies it by 10. So if, if you had like, I don't know, 81 pounds 10, it'll round it up to 82 pounds, take the 90p, mm-hmm. multiply it by 10, so nine pounds, and then transfer mm-hmm. it into your little savings pot automatically nice. with nice. every transaction you make, no matter how much it is. And within this, like every, every couple of months, I've like saved up a grand in there. Yeah. It's like, yeah. brilliant. That's a grand, which I hadn't, it's just gradually built yeah. up. Don't really pay much yeah. attention to it. Oh, it's a nice surprise at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and anything like that's worth when having having a proper strategy behind it. And, and actually, I quite I quite like those ways of doing. But but almost you know just just saying to yourself like I'm going to put fifteen percent of turnover into a savings account to or fifteen percent of my personal income into an account that I'm going to use to invest in assets that are going to secure my future. And so therefore, when you get, you know, for every thousand pounds that comes into your account, you put 150 quid straight into that bank account. Now, you don't need to worry about that until it's kind of worth actually worth worrying about. So if there's like 10 grand in there that you can get, right, what am I going to do with my 10 grand? Am I going to invest it in, you know, help to buy a little flat somewhere? Or am I going to, you know, go and do whatever? Then that you push it out there, but it's just securing your future. So, so coming full circle on the bounce back loan. So I, one of my businesses took the bounce back loan because I was just like, right, I'll just stick another 50K in and, and see what happens. And then I got another business and I was like, do I do I really need, I mean, what, what? Because it's got to get back, right? And in a year's time, there is still interest to be paid. And so the 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 common thought process is you just take it, you stick in your account and then you might pay it back there. But because I'm profit first in my businesses, my businesses are making such a big cash excess that I'm just like, like, do I? What am I going to do with that? Do I then take it in and then I profit first it, or do I just stick it into like the tax account? Or it just kind of cops the whole system up. So I thought like, I just I don't need the money. So I just like they can just keep. I know it sounds really stupid, but I'm just like the the yeah, one person I took the money into. I was like, it's sitting in there. I don't. I don't really. I haven't got much to spend it on. So like, what do I do? Like. One of the other challenges as well, which I think that um, a lot of small business owners face, obviously, as you know, um, a lot of the listeners are sort of coaches, consultants, freelancers, they're one-man bands. And um, some of this will be relevant to them, some of it it won't be. But one thing which I know is relevant is um, what you and I know best, which is the marketing side of things. Yep. And um, I kind of, this is where I get on my soapbox a little bit. And I'm like, you know, I'm all about like, put your prices up, have, you know, half the clients make double the money and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But the one thing which pretty much every business owner seems to get hung up on is marketing more clients. I need more clients. And actually it can be quite um, destructive 
to a business owner if that's all they're focused on. Mm-hmm. And then they're constantly looking for the next new shiny thing. So um, what is the Lead Gen Academy doing, which is different to every other marketing sort of business which is out there? Yeah, I think, I mean, I love, I love what you're saying about, um, you know, what more, 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 because actually how, how much is more? You know, what, what is, what's the end result of more? I did a, um, I did a whole kind of um, piece of research and a big, um, you know, personal kind of goal. And I worked out that, you know, to have the big kind of four million pound place in the country and to have the, have the, um, the South of France, uh, you know, um, holiday home, et cetera, some lovely cars on the driveway, you still get change out of 30K a month you know, if you've got that coming to your account. So, so more looks like the quickest route to get to 30K a month. And actually then it's so, such a, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in a, a lovely position where that's totally achievable. And, um, and so therefore more becomes actually what, what type of work do I want more of? How does, how does more get defined in my world in terms of enjoyment factor? You know, I only need 40 clients to do what I'm doing. And so therefore that's it. You know, like, and then once, once that happens, so I only work on a Wednesday and a Thursday. That's all the coaching I do. Wednesday, Thursday, that's it. Job done. Um, and so that means that not only does, do you hit that kind of 30K a month, you also only work two days a week. So then the more starts to be looking at, well, family time and holidays and time, you know, and, and enjoyment and, and scale, et cetera, becomes around there. And so that becomes a really, really cool um, place to be, particularly if you're also siphoning, as I keep on saying, into the investment account, because more then starts to accrual there. Because actually, um, when you're, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll probably know that we're just, we're just buying this big place at the moment, housewise. And, uh, um, you know, there's a project there that I've got to build some stuff on, but actually it's there. So, so, so just coming around to the marketing point in here, that then actually when you sit that goal to say, right, I actually need to have 30K a month after tax coming into my account. That solves all the thing. So therefore, I need to have my 40 clients to be able to do X, Y, and Z. So therefore, how many clients will I have? What's the deficit? Right. So how do I then go and fill the deficit? So then you say, so say you need 10 more clients or whatever to go fill the deficit. Then you need a lead generation system that's piling in a load of opportunity of the right type of client into a funnel so say that you so for me i do my five-day facebook ads challenge so i'm pushing people out um say you know if you're boosting posts on facebook then you're leaving a load of opportunity um on the door but you do this free five-day facebook ads challenge you will find a system that we have to generate more inquiries for the same amount of money um using you know a low budget whatever it might be and then they jump onto the the challenge at the end of that challenge they get a bonus day six phone call with me and then that means they're booking into my call so the call is kind of the conversion event so then you actually have the actual sales conversation with someone to say how do you get on with the challenge and they're like oh so good you know thank you so much so they're kind of in your debt you haven't asked them for anything and you've helped them to get leads then you say, well, would you like to spend a bit more time with me helping you to now scale? And they're like, oh, yeah, interesting. How does that work? And then, boom, you're straight into selling them your coaching or training. So it's, I know it's applicable because a lot of your people are doing similar stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and so then from there, you upsell them into your program. And so it's just a really simple funnel. And so many people are like, oh, but you need to be able to do this bit of marketing and that bit of marketing. You've got to get onto TikTok and you've got to, you know, do all this fucking awful like you know you go and ask an encyclopedia salesman whether you need an encyclopedia what they're going to say hell yeah 
So the LinkedIn yeah, guy yeah. says you need LinkedIn. Facebook ads guy says you need Facebook ads. The TikTok guy mm-hmm. says you need TikTok. And it's just like, mm-hmm. it's a total minefield. Yeah. And one of the things which I've discovered about like marketing, it is actually just one massive experiment. And you've got to like find the two or three things which work specifically for your yeah. business. Exactly. So for me, um, yeah, I've done Facebook ads works well, um, but specifically the book, the podcast, speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. I do those three things consistently. I get clients, yeah. you know, day in and day out with relative ease. Okay, granted, it's a lot of work up front to prepare and roll yeah. those things out. Um, and I see things like, um, so Facebook mm-hmm. ads, for example, as just adding an extra layer of, it's just another opportunity like box funnel, which you're creating for yourself. Yeah. The challenge is, though, people see Facebook ads and go, oh, I'll launch a Facebook ad, you know, today and I'll be a millionaire tomorrow. And what they don't realize is what you've just described there is like a dozen steps, which a prospective Mm. client starts off at a Facebook ad, Mm. you know, Mm. that's more intelligent than just a boosted post. Mm. And you have to take them through each one of those steps logically so that they then become a client once you built up that relationship. Mm. I think too many people are just trying to rush that process. Well, I think I think that's the point. You say, well, what do we do at the Lead Gen Academy? And 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 the point being is that um, a client comes to us and we and they'll say, oh yeah, I want to do some LinkedIn, I want to do some Facebook. And we go, hang on, right? It's only as good as the thing that you're going to use to convert them. So they give you the name and email address and phone number. So therefore, you can convert them again into a sales tool. So then you can convert them to get into a client, right? So actually, is it LinkedIn? Is it Facebook? Well, actually, what is the thing you're going to give to them for free in exchange for those details? And is that going to give you enough um, credibility in their minds to go on and then buy something expensive from you? If not, do you need to sell them something cheaper to then give you even more credibility in their eyes to then go on and sell them expensive stuff? And so by knowing what that is, be it that funnel that might give them something cheap and then it's up for them something expensive, or just bypass the cheap thing because you can give them something free that's so awesome like your take your shop book which is an excellent book by the way if anybody hasn't got it it's available for most bookstores um and then you can give them something awesome because <laughs> your book is good and what i love about your book is it actually talks about the coaching process etc which beautifully tees up people into actually then having a conversation with the author of the book about getting themselves a coach and so it's it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful piece of marketing. If anybody hasn't got a very good piece of marketing like that, you'll take your shop book or like my five-day Facebook ad challenge, that's where you start because without that, you're not wowing anybody. You're not actually moving anybody into a position of thinking about buying from you. There's not any Facebook ads that are going to help take someone cold into buying a 10 grand product or your five grand coaching program unless you do something that really kind of creates it's an, a, an asset effectively yeah. isn't it it's a bit like you're talking about property you've got to have like buy into the asset and and sweat that um what would the opposite of that be where you see somebody's like posting every day on twitter well the moment they get ill or stop posting on twitter they stop getting the leads Whereas my books just sat there kind of passively allowing people to buy it at any time of the day. They can apply for a copy of it for free. That, but there's that asset that I put all that time, energy and effort into building once mm. that I can just sweat like ad infinitum. Yeah. And I think again, like again, people don't, they want to rush the sell. They mm. don't want to spend waste time like building an asset. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? I'm surely elaborating all over their client, potential clients. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't, like that. Don't, don't do it. Like, like let let them just go. Well, I always say to people, it's a value ladder, right? So if you if your big thing at the end is your coaching program or your mastermind or whatever it is, don't prematurely elaborate on that 
all over your funnel. Uh, so I'm never going back there with that bloody analogy again. <laughs> your fault. You've, you've teed this up too well for me. I can say whatever I want, apparently. Um, come back down these steps and actually only talk to cold prospects about your free thing. And then only talk to free people, pe people about your little taste of small thing or about the one-to-one -one call with you. And then once the one-to-one -one call, people only talk, you know, in there only talk about the mastermind. But even in that one-to-one -one call, it says a half an hour call, you've got to give them 15 minutes of incredible value, which is a massive skill for anybody that's kind of in that coaching, consultant, freelancer model. You've got to really give the wow factor. Um, so they're like, wow, yeah, you've really backed up that person I thought you were in the free thing. And then you then give yourself, and don't, don't, don't overdo it because if you give yourself 25 minutes of giving them massive value and five minutes to pitch, you'll cock up your pitch. 15 minutes of massive value and then 15 minutes of then actually selling within that half an hour, then that will give you the perfect storm to be able to get some ratios going. And we always talk about go for no, which is a fantastic, I think it's a book or whatever, I can't remember, yeah. but it's a great, it's a great concept, right? So I'm I'm a, a one in four converter, right? So I because so I do quite a few calls. So I've got four of my calls for my um, five day Facebook ads challenge. I'll convert one of those into inner circle. So I actually want to go for three no's as quickly as possible because I'll hit my one yes, right? So you've got to go for no. So a no is good. So every time you get a no, you're like, yeah, I've got a no. I'm one step further to my yes. I'm delighted for that. So that's okay. So just know that you've got a system and that system keeps on getting filled up. And you want to just see when you're looking at your ratios, have I got four, four calls this week booked in? Have I got eight calls this week booked in? Have I got go for no? I've never read it, but it's a great concept. Brilliant. Really good. Um, and it's, look how thin it is. Take yeah. you five minutes to read that. Yeah. Such a great Are you book. kidding me? Like that's that's six weeks worth of work for me to get through that. I can't <laughs> that's your version of the encyclopedia. Yeah, mate. I'm a double best-selling author, but I'm Dave Lopsicated who can't read. So there you go. <laughs> it's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> it's it's interesting though, isn't it? Again, you know that that whole notion about going for no. Like again, people get very attached to like that. Um, emotionally attached to that that no they're like oh my god what did I do wrong you, you know you don't love me yeah. <laughs> but actually it's like a, a fun you're talking about like a one in four conversion rate you know I, I always talk about sort of anywhere between one in five one in three is a good conversion mm -hmm. rate for a small business owner you know yeah. if you're converting way more than that you're too cheap you need to raise your prices um, if you're converting less than that it doesn't necessarily mean you're too expensive you might need to upskill yourself in terms of sales but most people again they're, they're not aware of like their golden number they don't know what their conversion rates are they don't know how many people they have to have a conversation with in order to pick up a new client and then the moment a client does say no they're like what's wrong with me so how can you start to kind of overcome some of that like how do you detach from that emotionally and just get through the numbers um you put you you get so many leads that you stop putting a emphasis on needing to get sales from them i think what happens is when 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 people first start out they might get three or four opportunities and they're so desperate for those three or four opportunities to close that if one of them says no it's a big deal whereas actually you want to have such an abundance of inquiries coming for your business and such a huge community that actually you send out a few emails and you're going to get your diary, you, you should be in the position where your diary will be swamped if you actually open it up, whereas actually you've got to kind of restrict the amount of people who can get into your diary. So my Tuesdays are my calls for my sales stuff. That's it. I, I kind of restrict. I do a little bit of Friday mornings and that's about it. And so, so by that 
it means that all of those are always booked, 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 booked up. And so that's because the funnel's strong. So you've got to make sure that you put less, you've got to work harder on your funnel being stronger. So then you've got less of a ticket item on those, those opportunities. So you are less emotionally attached to it. Um, and that's just the journey. That's just the journey because at the start you will need those to close, you know, so you will kind of feel a bit emotional about it, but you just, just stick those emotions into getting better ads, getting better lead magnets, et cetera. I think you can, you can go for no with your marketing as well, can't you, with your lead gen? Because, again, it's like, you know, I look at, um, uh, so Rovio, this is a slightly, um, you know, different sort of tact with this. Um, so Rovio built Angry Birds. And Angry Birds was like their 240th app that they built. But obviously it became a multi-billion dollar sort of, you know, business in its own right. But, you know, they probably had some moderate success, but the first 239 apps weren't Angry Birds. And it's, I think it's a, the same or similar with lead gen. You've got to try out like dozens of different funnels before and, and keep on optimizing them before you find the one which works like specifically for your business mm-hmm. and be prepared to drop some money on it and for it to fail and go wrong. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You get, and, and that's the point, you know, it's not always, what you're saying is basically it's not always the same lead gen funnel, right? Um, so you've got to keep on trying those ones. I mean, I know I know that I've I've tried, I, I did LinkedIn for a while. I did LinkedIn outreaching, which I advise to a lot of people. And the problem is it worked so well, but I had to keep on having these conversations. <laughs> I had to keep on replying to people back. And I was like, I don't want to spend my time there. So you try to get someone else in to do it for the rest of it. And so you can even have stuff that works that doesn't kind of suit how you want to roll. Um, and so well, that's it. I mean, I could, I could run a five day, you know, Facebook ad challenge, for example, but it's actually not appropriate because whilst we do a teeny bit of marketing in fearless business, mm. our thing is about getting your offer, right? Getting the pricing, mm. right? And getting better at selling. Mm. So Facebook ads doesn't really kind of fit into that. So there's also that congruency of like, mm. whatever, whatever, um, marketing asset you're sweating, lead yeah. gen you're doing, it's also got to be congruent with whatever, whatever product or service you sell. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be fun because people also will ask you questions or, you know, if it's your book, they'll, they'll kind of get on, they'll give you reviews or they'll share it and stuff. You've got to kind of want to see all of that happening. Yeah. Um, and so if it's not, it's not for you, then, then don't, you know, don't sweat it. Just kill that funnel and go after another one. Um, it's, How it's do you decide? The- What's the point where you decide though to kill a funnel off and just start afresh? I don't think you, I don't think you kill a funnel before starting afresh. I think that you, you just spend your time, working on the on the funnel the next funnel and then and then if that starts to take off then you kill the other one um that's that otherwise you don't you're going to cut cut your legs off despite your face then so if it's if you're getting some inquiries but it's kind of getting a bit expensive don't stop that and then build the next funnel and then start putting the money keep that going until that's built tested works better change the ads over and even in facebook if you're advertising it's not it's one campaign versus another don't don't stop that campaign to start a new campaign keep share the budget or add more budget in until actually that is proving it's better and then push all the budget into there and work that so works well, well the, it, the review the review review side of things i think for any marketing campaign it's like super important though and i think this is something which people forget and i've got firsthand i've got a um, hopefully this will save a few people from making the same mistake, which I did last year. Um, <clears throat> I had a very successful Facebook ads campaign running for the first six months of 2019. And then, then all of a sudden it got to July and August. So around about this time last year and the whole thing just t- took a nosedive and it took me six weeks to work out 
what was wrong with it. And essentially I'd um, spent years building up my warm audiences with my books and things like that and growing my Facebook group, my page and everything else going out, doing networking meetings, all the stuff that everybody tells you you need to do. And with my ads, burnt through my warm audiences. And by July, there was nobody left to target. Nobody was, you know, I, I was starting to get, you know, people were seeing my ads like 40 mm. times and stuff like that. So, um, but it took me six, six, nearly eight weeks to re- realize this. But at that particular point, I was spending £3,000 a month on mm. Facebook ads. So a hefty chunk of change. And then all of a sudden, like my, you know, I was getting like one or two clients a month, which was barely covering the cost of the ads, let alone all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and I, I, I was reviewing it regularly, but I couldn't, it's just putting your finger on exactly what it was that yeah. had gone wrong. Mm. And and, you know, that's why we chatted because mm. yeah, ultimately what happened was I wasn't filling up the top of the bucket with cold leads. Yeah. All yeah. I've done is just rinse my warm ones. Yeah. Yeah. They, they talk about something called the 10-40-60 of Facebook. Um, so 10-30-60. And so if you had £100 ad budget, you would spend £60 of that on conversion. You'd spend £30 of that on consideration and £10 of that on awareness. So when you're doing the proper budgets, like £1,000 or whatever, you are basically spending a lot of money on um, reach. So that's the 10%. So you're, you're getting just, you're doing reach ads just to get your videos seen, just to kind of push out your content as far and wide as possible to your target demographic. Your demographic is wider for those ads. Then the consideration is when they're doing actually traffic ads and they're all the message ads where they're actually kind of starting to look at staff and going back to sites, which will then kick in your retargeting. And then your retargeting is when you actually do your conversion stuff. So then you're piling and retargeting to get them to actually then go on to book calls or convert into stuff. And so that 10, 30, 60 is a lovely process in terms of how you should be running those campaigns. And those campaigns can really then make sure that your top of funnel, the awareness stuff is always driving new people back in, back in. I also think there's a wonderful thing, which is your lookalike audiences. And if I always say to people that you don't necessarily need to, because you can upload an audience to Facebook, right? It has to be a hundred names or more. But if you actually sat down and thought about your current hundred clients, put them in there, but say that only got you to say 50, then for the other 50, you could sit there and go, right, actually I've been on, this course or I've been in this community and I know this person, Debbie and her email address. And now she isn't hired now. I'd love her to be a client. I think she'd be excellent. I'm going to chuck her in there. And I know Frank also is similar. I'm going to chuck him in there. So you can create your perfect hundred client list with some of your clients. You can actually get rid of some crappy clients in there as well. If you do have crappy clients, just have perfect clients plus perfect ideal clients, sit those into Facebook and then actually use that to then generate a lookalike of your perfect client list and then run campaigns to that lookalike audience. And that, for me, we've tried that. That's good as sort of things that we're advising people to do at the moment that are struggling, who don't have 100 clients. You know, there is obviously maybe a few people watching this podcast that don't have 100 perfect, perfect clients um, that are buying big ticket stuff from them yet, but they might know places where they could be hanging out. Sorry. Um, so that would be a really good way of being able to develop that audience and then doing a lookalike. Um, and if you can get that audience even bigger, if you can get that to two, three, 400, then you could even just run a campaign directly at that audience as well. So take out your current clients, but just do these hundred, you know, or 300 people that you would know would be amazing. You could just upload that into Facebook and run a, run a bit of an audience into there as well. So it has to be quite a few, but 
you know, get three, four hundred in there, you could actually get away with doing a little ad campaign to adjust those specific people as well. Cool. And those are things that you go through in your five day challenge, aren't they? So just to kind of give people a bit of an intro into the basics of getting around business manager on Facebook. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so if you're boosting posts or if you haven't even done anything on Facebook, then that's the trigger for you to maybe look a little bit deeper into that. So the five day challenge. So day one's all about finding your Colin. Colin's an amazing person who's my target audience. No one else has allowed him. Um, and he's amazing because he's the right demographic, right person, right business, right model, etc. So I want you guys to all find your Colin or your Claire or your Clive, whoever it might be, who's your perfect client. So day one's all about that. And then that gives you the right questions that educates your audience when you do that on Facebook to find your Colin. And then once you find your Colin, what creative do you do to actually get them into there? How do you then go on and then start to retarget people once they come onto your website? Once you've retargeted them, how do you then keep that database? So the biggest problem is that people do a retargeting ad, but they keep on retargeting their clients. So the clients keep on liking stuff and clicking on stuff, which means that they're just paying for the ad to be one optimized towards their clients and two, they're paying for their clients engagement, which is crap. So you then have a way of using Zapier, which is an API technology to keep your audience updated regularly on Facebook. So Facebook then excludes your clients from that audience. So that's day five. It's the, it's a little bit more ninja on day five, but look, by the time you hit day five on the five day challenge, you're already running ads. You're already getting leads. You're already having great success. So you might be kind of ready to take on a bit more complicated day five, but it's not essential. It's cool. uh, you, you'll be well in there by day four. And how can people find the five day challenge? leadgenacademy.co.uk and then at the top there's something called the five day Facebook ads challenge and you just awesome. click on that link so we will we'll make sure that we drop a link to that in the um, uh, in the show notes as well so a um, couple of last sort of questions really because I also want to get to know the real Richard you've been through a bit of adverse, uh, adversity recently in terms of um, uh, you had a stroke not that long ago and you kind of have bounced back from it I would say so are you happy to kind of share a bit of an insight into kind of what your world looked like when that was going on yeah, yeah. Well, I had, I had, I had three actually, which is lovely. Um, yeah, I, I was just, um, I was just driving, um, and I started talking to my wife, and I was just like, I started slurring and all the rest of it, and um, didn't really know what was going on. And, and then I, I went for Sunday roast with her, and then I was, I was doing it again, and then my eyesight was going in and out. And, and as it turned out, I have an autoimmune disease, which. Um, means that kind of my my blood is sticky and nobody knew and didn't know about it and I just obviously found out the hard way um, and ended up having I mean they're, they're called TIAs right they're like mini strokes um, so I had three um, transmitted ischemic attacks TIAs um, and ended up basically waking up in a stroke unit in uh, Wexham Park Hospital and and uh, and stayed there for a week doing lots of tests and stuff. And then, I, you know, that was when I was just turning 30, blood thinners and the rest of it. So, um, really, you know, the agency there, and it really took the wind out of sales and kind of puts in effect. So Cara was pregnant with our first um, then as well. So it was a real kind of crappy time. I was just turning 30 and I was all kind of upset that I, I wasn't, you know, a gazillionaire by the time I was 30. I had all these over Then Maybe there's a bit of stress in there, but, but, it, but it turns out that I'd actually had a proper condition around it. Um, and that was the moment I thought, right, I need to have a bit more fun in business. And around about the same time, 
um, I heard this music come on the TV going, I was like, oh, bloody apprentice. What a bunch of arrogant watching McCall. Let's, you know, I could do better than that. And, and Carl was like, well, if you think you're so great, go on then. And because I am a bit of an arrogant watching McCall, I was like, fine, then I will do. Um, and never in a million years, I applied, 80,000 people apply each year. Um, and uh, lo and behold, after a couple of uh, weekends of auditioning, I actually find myself in the boardroom with Lord Sugar. Um, and not only that, kind of do all right. You know, we, 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 I got the best marking task on, on The Apprentice. Well, you, would, you would have won it if it wasn't for that sort of slip up, which we all saw when you'd essentially already executed on your business plan. And so they couldn't invest in the business. Yeah. Like they found, they found my bit. But that's the thing that pisses me off to be honest. I, know, yeah, I still, I still wake up in the middle of the night. I, I think, I think the thing is I was up against, um, a, a guy who was a plumbing, who had a plumbing business and he was very much a kind of similar mold of sugar, that kind of, you know, um, guy who was kind of grafting and there and, you know, he, he kind of read all sugar's books and he, you know, he, he had his, he had his head firmly up Lord sugar's ass the whole process. Um, and I just think he saw a little bit in Joseph that, that maybe the, uh, the plummy English chap from Surrey didn't quite see eye to eye with Lord Sugar. Um, and so, so I just, I think, I think like, you know, I think they could have, they could have hung it on anything they wanted to. Yeah. The fact is that I only lost one task in the whole process, smashed a load of records and everybody, including all the judges thought that I was going to win it. And, uh, and I got absolutely, I got, I got, got sacked. Bastard! Um, <laughs> but I'm not bitter, Robin. At all. I was say you've moved on, haven't you, Richard? Surely <laughs> I'm not bitter. But the person that won it, um, the business—he's the only person that broke up with Lord Sugar within the year of having the investment. And a year later, the business um, has gone bankrupt, owing creditors two million pounds. Um, wow! So, so you make the wrong decision, don't you, Sugar? Well, yeah, but he probably probably wakes up at night, you know, consequently thinking, God damn it, I wish I'd invested in Richard Woods, you know. I don't, I don't think, I don't think any, I don't think it, I don't think he's waking, I don't think he's as, he does, me and Lord Sugar have regular chats and he regularly tells me, Richard, he wakes up. The thing is as well, what I realised is that I was giving him a really good business plan. It was a business that was already running, it had staff, it had a great thing, you know, invest my business. And of course they were like, look, we can't do that, it's got to be a new business. I was like, ah. So, like, it's not obviously an investment business, is it? You just want to, you know, it's a TV show. And you forget that actually sugar's not in it for the money. When you've got a billion pounds and you are in your mid-70s, um, you haven't got enough years to spend that much money. <laughs> like, it's too much money to spend. Like, he doesn't need more money. So what he's actually into that legacy role. So we actually talk about kind of, you know, you make money, you secure money, you create wealth, you then create legacy, right? So he's well in that legacy. He has been for a long time. So what is The Apprentice? Is it actually an investment program or is it a legacy creation program? And actually, I didn't see that. And I, that's what I'd say to anybody think about it. It's a legacy creation program for sugar. And so that's why he does it and spends an, an abnormal amount of time for the returns and the returns of him are a bit crappy. It's loads of his time and a load of businesses that kind of make a little bit of money. Maybe, maybe they might make a million a year profit that he splits 50, 50 with the owner, like 500 K like sugar should make 500 K bending over tie shoelaces. Like it, it's, it does, it's not money that he needs it, but he's got these great people that are young business owners that are partners with him that are running around and creating 
large companies, which then they can then trickle down to new people that come up behind them. And he then has this great legacy of these excellent businesses are out there that are doing great building businesses and, and speaking very highly of him. And, uh, and so that's why, you know, he kind of obviously really brought into Joseph's story. Joseph was, you know, um, kicked out of school when he was younger and he's, Joseph is a nice guy. He just was, in my opinion, too young and too green behind the ears and got, you know, thought, Oh, I, I, you know, my, um, my way of doing things is going to be really, really successful and wouldn't listen to advice. And then obviously he's gone and gone under for 2 million quid, 2 million quid. I mean, that's a lot of dough to be in debt to people with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, obviously I think thinks- anything that, you know, clearly, clearly there's a model there, which, you know, everybody kind of buys into. And if, you know, that program goes out to, goes out to millions of people, like each series that, you know, every year when it comes out. And mm-hmm. I think you and I probably both agree that anything that can be done to encourage entrepreneurship starting up your own business like not working for the man and kind of building your own dream rather than somebody else's is surely a really good thing no i don't agree with you <laughs> i don't i don't i don't I, I, only because i've been naughty and being a little bit, but I, I don't necessarily think it is a good thing because how many times have you seen people that have come across that you've come across that shouldn't be in their own business Oh, massively. Well, I mean, there's, there's, there was, you know, pre-coronavirus, there was 6 million registered small businesses. I would argue that probably at least a fifth of them, 20, 25% of them don't deserve, they don't have a right to be in business because they're shit. They're not, they're not, um, they were the sorts of people, and I'm going to make a really sweeping statement here. Good for them, but they were the sort of people who gave up their business to go and work down at Sainsbury's because yeah. they were so desperate to put food on the table. That mm-hmm. tells me that person isn't really buying into their business. Yeah. Or they were working at Sainsbury's and thought they, they watched The Apprentice and thought they'd go start their own business. And I'm not saying that that's anything, but, but um, there's a personality type that suits high stress, risk, um, singing for your supper every day, which you do when you start up your business. It's kind of like that. And, and one thing that going on the show that made me realize is that not everybody should be doing their own business. And yeah. actually The Apprentice isn't a good... Um, necessarily good way of doing that because everybody wants to go out and become an entrepreneur and actually the because you you get a lot of people that then will contact you directly because they see you on the show and they think that you know you you can tap into Lord Sugar or you you yourself would be able to invest in their business and they just should not be in business they should just go and get a job um, but they've got and some of some of them the worst cases the people that kind of do have um, a little bit of you know who are who are switched on and know what they're talking about and then then go put money against the family home and they'll go and gear up loads of credit cards and the rest of it. And actually you then look at it and go, you, you, you're a sensible person, but for whatever reason, you've, you've got this entrepreneurship bug and you, you've gone down a rabbit hole here and you, it's a really bad idea. It's, it's like the people in the Dragon Den that you see that they've got like, you know, the disposable, I don't know, reusable light bulb or some, something that's just, you know, the, the injector seat on a helicopter or something like that. That's a ridiculous idea that um, is kind of, then they're like, Oh, um, they've spent, you know, all of their family's money and all of their money and all their friends' money, and then they've got this patent. And you think it's a, it was someone needed to say it was a bad idea, you know, and, yeah. and they, you know, so you you see that, and that's what these the you know Dragons Den Apprentice etc. breed a romance around entrepreneurship that people think it's the easy way and it's the way to make money and rest it, but. It, you know, you and I are... And there are barriers there for most people. Most people don't have rich family. They don't have access to, you know, credit and stuff like that. Like, there was a... I was reading... Well, a, that's, a, 
but that's not that's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's that. I'm I'm, I'm saying that it's more. Um, it's a personality type. Yeah, entrepreneurship is a way of life. It's not anybody can get. If you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter if you were brought up in the most least well-off place in the world or the most wealthy. You you can find business. You don't even need money. Well, my, my point was going to be that that because I, I agree with you. I think there is a certain personality type. So I was going to say there was there was a guy in a, um, a, a forum on Facebook earlier on who was saying, "Where can I go to get five k to pay for a van so I can start my business up." I was like, what's your business? Why don't you go and hustle and earn 5K and, you know, prove that your product is worth buying and make some money in the process and then pay for your van outright so you don't owe anybody any money for it. Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. It's going to take too long. Yeah, it's going to take so fucking long. Like, that's the whole part of business is hustle, grind, hard work, get your hands dirty and go make some money. Yeah, you don't need, you don't, like, it's, you know, you don't need a van. You don't, you don't like the, you don't need them. Um, when I brought my, when I brought that boiler business, so I brought a distressed boiler business that was um, going literally the day before it went to liquidation. Like, and I brought the assets um, out of the business and so seven, seven engineers, seven vans and the rest of it. The first thing I did, so brought it, brought it for like a quid. First thing I did was I sold all the vans. Um, and so <laughs> got like 20 quid into the account, 20 grand and then lease them all back. So then my cost was like 1,200 quid a month for leasing. So yeah, 1,200 quid. But I got 20 grand in the bank that I'm then now using to ads and rest. It's like, why did they, and they have every single one of them, private number plate, private number plate, private number plate, sold all the private number plates. And it's just like the, the, the kind of vanity of business. And you think, well, why did he get himself into trouble when the business went into liquidation? Well, it's because his vanity items like owned vans and, you know, private number plates and, you know, silly stuff versus actually going, where's the money? How can I make more of it? How can I get a funnel going? How can I have repeatable processes to be able to scale? And jobs are good. And, you know, I flipped that business and and made a, made a load of money on the back end of it. And so that, and and actually that was really good because Joseph was in boilers as well. So I was competing against him for some time. (laughs) To be fair, he was bigger, but, um, but I sold mine and made money and he, he, he got his, uh, you know, he, he went into liquidation. So win. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, sorry. I'm not bitter at all. I haven't got any problems or any hang out with this. (laughs) Therapy problem. We should do this more often. (laughs) We should do. You can mate. you're welcome to come back on the podcast anytime you like. Honestly, (laughs) listen, we, we are at time, but, um, you know, I, I'm re- incredibly grateful in terms of like your honesty as well, because sometimes there's, there's, when you look at kind of the journey you've been on, there's potentially stuff there that, um, you know, well, this is a question which I normally ask at the end of the very end of the podcast, but I'll ask it now. But if we hopped into the um, fearless business time machine and you get to go like punching the date, like back to the future, whenever you want to go back to in the past and have a word with like Richard Woods minus X number of years, when would it be? And what would you say to him? <laughs> it would be just before the final boardroom. I, I, I did, like now. I said, there's just two things I could have said to myself, which was around. Um, do you know what? Fuck it. I, I don't. I just wouldn't. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I've got I'm literally uh, the only regret is actually the thing that I use the most to kind of keep myself grounded, which is the. I think honestly, actually, this is really this is interesting. I don't think I've said this before. I think it would have been really detrimental to me mentally, my own personal kind of development, my let's say mental health, but kind of you know, I I 
I kind of did think of myself as very good. You know, I think when you're young, you think you, you can see that you're kind of doing well and you're growing businesses. I mean, I was like 24, 25 and I staff businesses and the rest of it, you know, and, and you start to think that you're, you're, you, you kind of, you, you start to think a bit too much yourself. And so then going on The Apprentice, I started to, that kind of get almost personified because I was winning some of those tasks, I was the front runner and the rest of it. Looking for everything to kind of back up what you think is your reality. Exactly. So it was kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy that I thought I was good and then I was winning these tasks and people were telling me good and the smoke was getting burnt out my ass until suddenly someone that I respected very highly then basically brought me tumbling back down to earth. That I just think that without that, I... I think I could have probably carried on and did what Joseph does, which was hyperinflated or something because I was trying to make it look bigger and then lose a lot from it. So um, I don't think I would have gone back and changed something. I think sometimes you need the knocks to be able to have the experience and the experience then is the thing that you are able to shape you and who you are. And so a time machine, I think, is a very dangerous thing. Um, yeah. So you better keep that invention under wraps, Robin. Don't tell anybody about the time machine. To be able to go back though and kind of just have that say, you know, have that word with yourself and say, hey, don't don't let this run away with yourself. No, 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 because because that public humiliation was the thing that I needed. Yeah. Me coming back from the future. It's like if your dad tells you something, isn't it? It says, don't, you know, don't do too much of that because you, you know, you'll met, you'll come and bite you. It'd be like me being playing the dad role, telling me to not do that. I would have just got like, nah, I think I'm not. I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, well, she would have done it anyway. So yeah, exactly. Even yeah. if it was me telling me. So <laughs> I think, I think, I think that's a wider point to tell everybody though, that, that actually say thank you for the knocks, say thank you for the bad times, say thank you for the hard times, because if you don't have them, then you'll never appreciate the better times and the good times. And when I was in that hospital bed with the with the strokes and, and literally they found a shadow on my brain and, you know, they're talking about having open brain surgery, you know, the one where you're awake and they take the skull off and they poke around with the actual brain. Um, that's when I kind of fell apart. And without actually having health-wise, those kind of knocks and business-wise getting fired on the apprentice and, and kind of being publicly kind of shamed, or in my view I was, lots of people said it was okay, but... Um, I wouldn't shape the kind of slightly more take the mick out myself, be a bit more humble person yeah. than I find myself today. So, so I think be thankful for the knocks. Cool. I think that's a really powerful message. Uh, you know, I was thinking be humble through that, you know, as you're on your way up and on your way back down again as well. I think you can always just have a bit of gratitude and um, not just it's a royal you, not just you, but everybody, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I got caught out in a Facebook group the other day. Somebody joined my group and I said, Hey, thanks for joining. Let us know if we can help. And the reply I got back was, I'm right. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Cool. So listen, um, we're, we're at time. So um, obviously everybody who's uh, watching, listening, um, go and check out leadgenacademy.co.uk. Go and find the five-day ad challenge. It's absolutely fantastic. I've done it. Uh, got great results off the back of it. So um, well worth checking that out. Uh, and obviously Rich's book is available from all good book stores, uh, including both, both of them, old boy, both of them. Both well, of them. Although one's grossly overshadowed at the moment. It's called Brexitpreneurship, How to Win from Brexit. But like, I just need to have like a COVIDpreneurship now. <laughs> 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 Never write a time-sensitive <laughs> book. 
<laughs> the digital trailblazer is available in all good bookshops <laughs> <laughs> and again well very good read so it's well worth checking out and we'll share a link to that in the show notes as well when they go live but um just want to say thank you richard it's been an absolute pleasure and you're welcome to come back on anytime you like amazing tomorrow why not absolutely <laughs> <laughs> great to see you you're a big love to all the audience and thank you Robin. robin you do an excellent show and your group is awesome and uh i could if anybody's not in the group you need to jump into um the facebook group and check you go out loads more because the the value that you give is nuts thank you mate so for the shameless non-shameless plug it's confidently charge more if you want to go and check it out on facebook facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash charge more uh and obviously you can go and check out other episodes of the podcast too so uh that's that's it that's a wrap thanks richard take care signing off bye